church. Yeah, good to see you guys. Woo! Welcome to part five of our Seeing Red series. And it's hard to believe that we only have one more week after this weekend of our, our big summer series where we've been talking about what the Bible has to say about anger. And just by way of promotion in terms of next weekend's content, next weekend we're going to be talking about perhaps the one final issue about this whole anger thing in our life that we haven't really hit much on yet. And that is, what do we do when we're angry at God? And it's impossible for so many of us, I'm sure, to, who know someone who, who has struggles in their relationship with, with God, who feels distant from God. Maybe it's us or a family member or a coworker or a classmate. And listen, get them here next weekend. It is, it's going to be a, an amazing finale to what God is doing through this series that we're calling Seeing Red. Well, this weekend, uh, we are talking about angry at ourselves. What do we do when we're angry at ourselves? Because I'm sure you're like me. There are always those times in my life where I'll say something or I'll do something or I'll have an attitude about something. And then like a, a, a few minutes later, a few hours, maybe a few days later, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, what? How did I do? How, I can't believe I did that. And I get, you know, I, we all do that, don't we? We get a little frustrated. We get a little angry at ourselves. And we're like, maybe we're embarrassed. We're, oh, I don't have to go back and apologize to somebody or whatever. And most, you know, for example, I mean, we're coming to the tail end of the Olympics, you know, right now. And, and if you're like most of the world, you've been watching uh, the Olympics. And, you know, there from, obviously there are some athletes throughout the, the whole Olympic deal uh, that it clearly would be angry at themselves. I mean, one group actually in particular that I, I know is probably just so angry at themselves are the, uh, the people, that, the, the athletes, if you can call them that, I suppose, uh, who were involved in the badminton scandal. <laughs> now, maybe you're wondering, Matt, I didn't hear about any badminton scandal. Oh, no, it's real. Just simply Google on any device, badminton, scandal, and watch what comes up. It's heinous, I tell you, okay? If you don't, <laughs> if you don't know anything, okay, basically, according to like how the brackets work out or whatever, like th- these, these teams, these badminton teams basically like th- started throwing their matches so that they would, you know, they wouldn't face their own countrymen, you know, before the gold silver medal match or whatever a badminton competition is called. And so like, no lie, like it is the most ridiculous. They're like, they're like, like the, it's really good. Okay. Like and so the judge calls him over and he's like, you know, you guys stop throwing the matches, you know, play hard in the fans. If you, that's what they are, I suppose, or the people who had tickets for that event, you know, were like, boo, and they're booing. And so, like, they got, these badminton players got kicked out. Listen, they have to be angry at themselves. You know why? Because all of those years of practicing in their backyard, I don't know, lawn jarts enthusiasts everywhere are cheering in rage, right? What is going on? Like, serious? Okay, anyway, anyway. There are those times, right, where we all sort of get angry at ourselves, obviously, and it's something silly or whatever, and most of the time we just move past it or say we're sorry and we're fine. However, I recognize that for many of us, perhaps, there have been choices we've made 
decisions that we've made in our past, it, it, lifestyle decisions, lifestyle choices that for an entire season of our life haven't gone away. And we look back on those events, on those choices, on those decisions, on those mindsets, and to this day, we can't seem to get past being angry at ourselves, that to this day, we're paying a price. Those we love, those that we're in relationship with are paying a price because of decisions that we made in our past that have caused us to be angry at ourselves. Well, this weekend, what I want us to do is I want us to look at one of the most famous figures in all of Scripture, King David. And I want us to look at a particular period of time where King David, this great hero of the faith, this one that, uh, you know, slayed Goliath and, and set the nation of Israel on an incredible course, this great, you know, great-great-grandfather of, of Jesus, the, the Savior of the world, where this King David made a, a series of choices during a period of his life that caused him to be angry at himself. If you have your Bible or you have a smartphone with a, uh, with a Bible app on it, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're going to be because I want us to look at this moment in time, this period of time where King David made a series of choices that caused him to be angry at himself. And while you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The verses will be on the screen here in a minute. You'll be able to follow along there. Let me kind of backfill or tell us the story. And as I tell it, I'm sure that for most of us, it should be a familiar story. It actually begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It tells us that in the spring, when kings would normally go out to war, where they would lead their troops out into battle because they were the commander-in-chief, so they would go out with their armies into battle. In the spring, when most kings would go off to war with their armies, instead, King David found himself still in the palace. And so here he was, all of the able-bodied men of their nation were off at war, fighting the battles for their nation, but King David was there in his palace by himself. And so one night, he's out hanging out on the balcony, just sort of overlooking, surveying the city. And he looks over, and on a rooftop, he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. And of course, like any man, I suppose, he looks over, and he's like, wow, look, naked woman. Unbelievable. And David's curiosity in that moment emerged, and he began to inquire of his servants. He said, hey, who, who is that? And the servants did a little research and they found out that her name, was Bath, her name was Bathsheba. And she was actually someone's wife. She was the wife of one of the main commanders in the army, one of the soldiers named Uriah. Well, King David couldn't leave his curiosity alone. And so he calls for her and has her come to the palace. And King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Well, of course, guilt begins to rise in his heart. And it's only magnified when a few weeks later he gets word that Bathsheba is pregnant with his child. Well, of course, in that moment, David begins to freak out because here he is. And in just a short while, in just a few short weeks, the entire nation's going to know that this scandal has happened. Because after all, her husband's at war. All of the able-bodied men are at war. The nation is going to know that their king has committed adultery. With this woman. 
And so King David begins to think to himself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so he, he does what, the only thing he can think of, and that is he says, okay, go and get Uriah. Go get her husband, and if we can bring him back and, and tell him we're going to give him the weekend off because he's been such a good soldier or whatever, bring him back, and then he can stay at his house and be with his wife, and then no one will know the wiser because she'll be pregnant, and it'll just be his. And so the king summons for Uriah, he comes back in, and when he gets there, the king meets with them and says, hey, good job, go home, take the weekend off, hang out with your wife, she's beautiful, be with her, and then we'll go back. So the next morning, the king wakes up and finds that Uriah indeed didn't go down to his house to be with Bathsheba, but instead, the Bible actually records that he slept on the porch, he slept on the steps of David's house. And David wakes up and he finds him there, he says, Uriah, what are you doing? Go home, bro. Sleep with your wife. Go hang out. She's awesome. Go. And Uriah, in a moment of righteousness greater than the king he was serving, looks back at King David and he says, Who am I when all of our countrymen are out risking their lives on the front line for our nation? Who am I? It would not be fair for me to go and be with my wife while all of them are out there. So he doesn't. So the weekend goes by, and Uriah stays there on the porch of King David's house. And so King David is just beside himself. He's overcome with grief. He's overcome with guilt. He's overcome with this scandal that's about to emerge and rock his nation. And so one decision leads to a worse one. And so when he sends Uriah back out to the battle lines, he sends him with a letter. And Uriah carries his own death warrant, hands it to the commanding officer. And when the commanding officer reads it, it says, put Uriah on the front lines. Then when the enemy engages for battle, pull all of our troops off so that Uriah is killed. And the commander does it. Uriah is placed on the front lines. The enemy army comes in and the commander tells everyone to retreat. And Uriah loses his life. Well, at this point in the story, God gets involved. And so God speaks to the prophet of the day. His name was Nathan. The, the prophet of the day, when God wanted, in the Old Testament, when God wanted to speak to his people or speak to a king, he would, he would speak to a preacher, a prophet of the day. And Nathan was that guy. And so God comes to, to the prophet Nathan and he says, listen, the king has sinned and you need to go and confront him. Now, here's the thing. This creates a rather tricky situation for our boy Nathan. And here's why. Because even though he was God's messenger, in earthly terms, King David was more powerful than he was. And clearly, King David has proven that if he doesn't like you or wants to get rid of you, he knows how to do that. And so here's Nathan, the prophet of God, comes to the palace, knocks on the door, sits down with King David, and begins to tell him a story. He begins to lay out this, this long allegory, this long story of a rich man and a poor man. And he's telling King David that, that this rich man had thousands of sheep. He was very wealthy. But the poor man, he only had one small, frail sheep. And one day, this rich man went to the poor man's house and stole his one and only small little sheep that he had and kept it for his own. Well, of course, upon hearing this, King David, with all of his righteousness and justice within his position in his heart, looks at Nathan indignant and says, shame on that man. 
That rich man should be judged. That rich man should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And in that moment, the prophet Nathan looks back at King David and he says, King David, you are that man. You have at your fingertips an entire kingdom. But you chose to reach down and take one poor guy's wife for your own. You've sinned. And in that moment, it's as if the scales fell off King David's eyes. It's as if the fog and the haze that he had been making decisions in suddenly was cleared and in an instant it was lifted. And in that moment, King David comes face to face with the reality that he has sinned before God. And in that moment, he is overcome with with grief and sadness. In that moment, he's overcome with pain and heartache. In that moment, he can suddenly see the magnitude of his decisions over the last several weeks and the, the, the price that they are now exacting on him, on his family, on his nation, on his troops, on his kingdom. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, he responds to Nathan. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. David was angry at himself. How can I do this? How can I make this decision? How can I bring this pain on me? Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But, verse 14, because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. The prophet Nathan looks back at the king when he sees his repentant heart, when he sees him just swallowed up in his, in his sin, swallowed up in sadness and in darkness, swallowed up in grief and mourning, swallowed up in anger at himself. And he looks back at him and he says, the Lord has forgiven your sin and you're not going to die. But because of this, when, when this word begins to spread, King David, to the surrounding nations and to, uh, to the people of our nation. It's going to be a slap in our God's face. And because of that, the son born to you will die. David was angry himself. How could he let this happen? How could I be so stupid? How could I do this? Verse 15, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. Look at verse 16. David pleaded with God for the child. David's in a, in a bad place. David is overcome with grief and sadness, being angry at himself and he pleads with God. He fasted and he went into his house and he spent nights lying on the ground. David wouldn't sleep in his bed. He wouldn't sit on the furniture. David wallowed on the ground. He wallowed in the dirt. He wouldn't eat any. No, I don't want to eat. No, nothing. He was overcome, angry 
at himself, the elders, verse 17, of his household, stood beside him to get him up from the ground. Come on, David, get up, man, get over it. Come on, move on. But he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. He said, no, this is a guy who's in a bad, dark place. This is a guy whose anger at himself is eating him alive. It is holding him hostage. He is wallowing on the ground. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to lay on the couch. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to eat. Nothing. He's overcome. Verse 18, on the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? Look at this. He may do something desperate. This is a guy who's in a bad place. This is a guy who's contemplating suicide. This is a guy whose friends and loved ones and servants around him are going, we don't know what to do. We can't get him off the ground. He is, he is desperate. David noticed, verse 19, that his servants were whispering among themselves. He heard them in the hallway. And he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. And then in verse 20, I want us to notice something. I want us to see something in the life of David, a man who was angry at himself. Look at verse 20. Then David got up from the ground. Then David got up from the ground. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then, after church, he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate? What? What? Who is this guy? Okay, what, time, time out. Hang on a second there, Davy boy. A few minutes ago, you're wallowing in the mud. A few minutes ago, you haven't moved out of the dirt. David, a few minutes ago, you haven't eaten a thing in a week. You won't listen to anybody. You won't sleep in your bed. You are laying on the ground, angry at yourself. And now, all of a sudden, in a matter of minutes, you get up. Lights. <laughs> in a matter of minutes, David, it's good to see you guys. Wow, good to see you. They'll get that figured out in a second. We got some storm activity in the atmosphere. Okay, stay with me. In a matter of minutes, this guy goes from wallowing on the ground to getting up, taking a shower, washing himself off, making himself ceremony clean, going to church, 
And then he comes home and orders a meal. What happened? Who is this? What happened? Why this huge difference between a guy who just a few minutes ago was laying in the dirt to now being totally different? What happened to David? His servants wondered the same thing. Look, verse 21. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? David, what is going on? While the child was alive, you fasted and and wept. You were on the ground, bro. Now that the child is dead, you get up and you eat. They were like, who are you? What happened? And look what David said. Verse 22, he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Verse 23, but now, now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David was a man who was overcome with grief and heartache and sadness. David was a man who was utterly angry at himself because of choices he had made in his past. But, and I hope you, this is what I want you to see. Here's the one big idea of our message this weekend. There came a point in David's life where he had to let the past be in past. There came a moment in time where David had to let himself off the hook. There came a moment in David's life where he had to look at the events of his past, look at the circumstances of his past, and in this moment say, you know what? I can't change the past. I can't bring my son back to life. I can't undo what has been done. But in this moment, I forgive myself. There came a moment where David had to get up off the ground. And here's what I want us to understand this weekend. Listen, I believe there are many of us in all of our services, in all of our environments, many of us who are watching or listening online or in some other environment, listen, and you have been wallowing in your sin. You've been wallowing on the ground, looking at events, choices, decisions you made in your past and not able to get up. You've been looking at it and and you've been living in the dirt. You've been living in the guilt, in the shame, in the anguish of decisions made in your past. And here's what I want you to understand this weekend. You can't move forward with your life until... Get up from the ground. See, as long as David lay there on the ground, as long as David was wallowing in decisions of the past, not letting go, his life was paralyzed. Everything in his life came to a screeching halt as long as he was laying on the ground. But the minute he got up from the ground, everything in David's life was able to move forward again. See, once David got up, 
Three areas of his life, three things in his life had the ability to move forward again. The first, did you notice it in the story? The first one is his relationship with God. The minute David got up from the ground, his relationship with God was able to move forward again. It says that he got up, he, he, he took a shower, made himself ceremonially clean, and then he went to church. He was able to go and be in the presence of the God, of, of God again. See, watch this. Prior to this point, as long as he was wallowing on the ground in his sin and in his past, his relationship with God was completely focused on that. He fasted, he prayed, he wept. Why? Because of the child, because of the past, because of the decision he made. He could not move forward in his relationship with God until he got up from the ground. The second area of David's life that immediately started to move forward again was his relationships at home. His relationships at home started to move forward again. Listen, those in his household, his servants, those around him, they were paralyzed. They could not move forward. They were like, come on, man, get up. They tried to help him up. Get up, David. We need you. Our home needs you. This place needs you to get up off the ground. As long as he was laying on the ground, everything in his home life was frozen. But the minute he got up, the minute he got up off the ground, suddenly his relationships at home could move forward and progress again. The third area that moved forward once David got up from the ground was his relationship with others. Everything else in his life was now able to move forward. Once David got up from the ground, his nation could not go forward as long as their king was wallowing in the dirt. The destiny and future of their nation and of David's life hinged upon his ability to forgive himself and get up from the dirt. And my challenge to us this weekend, for every one of us who are listening, In any environment, in all of our services, my challenge to us this weekend is this. Isn't it time to get up? See, I believe that there are so many who are listening right now, and you have have been unable to forgive yourself for some decision you made in the past, for some lifestyle choice that you had in your past, for some season of time in your life where you were off base, where you were off target, where your decisions were foggy and cloudy and they did not please God. And listen, you have been laying in the dirt, wallowing in the past. And God would say to you this weekend, it is time to get up. Because your relationship with God has been on a stalemate. It's been paralyzed. You know why? Because you're so focused on the past that you can't do anything else for God. You're laying on the ground. Our relationships in your family, our relationships in your workplace, with your friends, with your connection groups, they're they're stalled out. Not because those people haven't forgiven you. Not because God's not forgiven you, but because you haven't forgiven yourself. The first thing Nathan said to King David when King David said, I've sinned, was your sins have been forgiven. This is not a forgiven from God issue. This is a forgiving yourself issue. And listen, your relationship with God 
can't move forward as long as you're laying on the ground. Your relationship with others can't move forward as long as you're laying on the ground. And your destiny cannot move forward until you get up from the ground. Isn't it time to get up? What's in the past is in the past. You can't change that. Was it wrong? Sure. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't adultery. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a business decision. Maybe it was a financial decision for your family or an investment. And over the last few years, that investment has gone terribly wrong. And your family has paid a tremendous price. Guess what? You can't undo the past. God's forgiven you and your family's forgiven you and the only one who can't seem to get past this is you. Isn't it time to get up? Maybe it was, a, it was an ethical decision somehow and in that moment you could have swore the lines were gray but your bosses didn't think so. And you've been kicking yourself because it cost you your career. It cost you what you thought was your future. Isn't it time to get up? Isn't it time to stop being angry at yourself? Isn't it time to let the past be in the past? Get up off the ground and start moving forward again. God needs you to get up off the ground. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers need you to get up off the ground. And your future destiny needs you to get up. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray this weekend. And I want us to ask the Lord, not to forgive us, although if you haven't done that, that's awesome. But to give us the courage to get up off the ground once and for all concerning this issue. So across this place, in all of our environments, wherever you are, would you just pause? Would you just bow your head with me right now? In every one of our services, would you just bow your head? Jesus, we pause in this moment And we thank you that we have the ability this weekend to look into the mirror of King David's life and see our own reflection coming back. Lord, I pray for so many of us who in some season in our past have made choices or decisions that were unwise, have, have had attitudes or mindsets or lived a lifestyle that was not pleasing to you and we have, we've paid a price for that. Lord, I pray for every one of us who find ourselves in that category today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the courage to forgive ourselves, still staying in this moment and attitude and atmosphere of prayer in all of our services. If that's you, as just an outward expression, would you just simply slip your hand up right now? Just slip your hand up to the Lord and say, that's me. Matt, that's me. Include me in. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Dozens of hands across. Just keep them up. Keep them up in every service, in every service. 
Jesus, you see so many of us who are lifting our hands right now as an outward acknowledgement that we have struggled to let ourselves off the hook. We've settled, we've struggled to, to, to hold ourselves hostage, to be angry at ourselves. And so, Lord, right now with an uplifted hand, we just acknowledge, Lord, we don't want to live this way anymore. We want to get up off the ground We must forgive ourselves. And Lord, if we need to, we ask you to forgive us. Father, we know others have forgiven us. And Lord, we pray for the courage to forgive ourselves that we would never go back to lying on the ground again. Father, we let go of the anger that we have held on to for so long against ourselves. We forgive ourselves that we might move forward into everything you have for us. That our relationship with you, God, might take the next step, that our relationships with others could finally begin moving forward again. And that, God, we could begin moving forward toward our destiny once again. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for the ability to forgive ourselves. Lord, we get up off the ground today. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen.